This is The Guardian. Hello, I'm Faker Rothers and welcome to The Guardian Women's Football Weekly. We are back. Has anything happened since we were last with you? Maybe, not sure. So much to catch up on, look ahead to, and the action has already started with the Women's Championship four games in, Arsenal out of the Champions League and the Lionesses up and running in the Nations League. There's the small matter of Spain, the WSL, Megan Rapinoe and more to discuss. Plus, we'll take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Okay, now then, Susie Rack, first of all, what have you been singing? Guess who's back? Back again. Women's Football <laughs> Weekly's back. Tell a friend. <laughs> Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? This can go on. I mean, it was just beautiful. Thank you for that serenade. <laughs> beautiful is, is not the word I would go for, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Oh, listen, I'm in the Netherlands. I'm full of cold. You can probably hear that. I'm really sorry. I'm in the Netherlands. You will be here soon, Susie. But, I mean, we're all a little bit delirious, hence the intro. Do you want to explain exactly why we're recording this on Monday instead of Tuesday morning as previously scheduled? (laughs) No. (laughs) Or maybe that I forgot that we were recording at 8am and I was on an 8.15 flight to Amsterdam may have been the reason that we're recording in the evening instead of the morning. Despite the fact that we've been planning this for weeks and only talked about it the other day. Absolutely astounding. Sophie Downey, it's a party in Utrecht. I've just left some of the press pack early for dinner. They all hate you, Susie, because I was being (laughs) sociable and I've had to leave. You're heading out here tomorrow, Soph. I am, yeah. Tomorrow morning from Dublin. I am technically still on holiday Although it's not really turned out to be much of a holiday. But yes, heading over tomorrow. Looking forward to it. You've been on a holiday since the end of the World Cup. I've seen your travelling photographs. Don't tell me you've not had a holiday. Unbelievable. Robin Cowan, you and I need a holiday, most Mm -hmm. definitely. Uh, I know you're not popping over for Nations League action, but you are still going to be getting some waffles from Susie. Yeah, I'm really going to hold her to that. I'm quite liking this vibe, though, actually. Football Weekly After Dark. See what comes of it. Well, the last Football Weekly we did after dark, if you like, was, well, the fun one. Let's not talk about the depressing one when we we lost the World Cup. Let's talk about the fun one when we won the Euros. That was after dark. We had mini baby bells and lots of fizzy pop and uh, we had a splendid time. It's been wonderful. Right. I tell you what, nobody has had any rest whatsoever It's been 37 days since the World Cup final in Australia. Absolutely nothing has happened, clearly. No, women's football sleeps and uh, we all sleep. You'd have had to have been living under a very, very large rock if you've missed the extraordinary fallout following Spain's victory down under and the ongoing chaos surrounding Luis Rubiales and the Spanish Football Federation. It is something that we're committed to exploring further. We'll be dedicating a special pod to what's happened and the wider ramifications soon. And because a few minutes at the start of this show just cannot do it justice, I want you to listen to Susie Robin and Semra Hunter discussing it with Max Rushton. You can check out that pod from a few weeks ago in our feed, although so much more has happened since. 
And Susie, you were actually out in Gothenburg, weren't you, to see their dramatic 3-2 win over Sweden in the Nations League. Tell us what that was like and, and exactly where we stand at the minute. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was obviously ignoring all of the, the asides, a thrilling football match in and of itself. But that was so secondary to just everything that was going on around it. The protest of the players on the pitch rolling, you know, it just looked like they had very much done it themselves as well. You know, it had this sort of banner that was just black text on on white, printed off like, I don't know, a local printer or something. Alexia Puteas holding it behind their back as they took the team photo and then they roll it out in front of them with the Sweden players, all with the, you know, all of them and a load of the other players from international teams around the world, not just in Europe, doing that in solidarity with the tape around their wrists with Sarah Cabo written on it. And yeah, it was really like poignant and quite sad, particularly that first half of me watching them play where they found it really hard. Like Sweden really should have almost put the game to bed in the first half because they were so dominant and Spain just looked exhausted. And they were exhausted because they had been up till like three, four in the morning in talks with the Federation and they had been called up late and they were on flights late and, you know, all of this mad stuff going on in the context of their case and battle with the Federation for respect and like meaningful change following, you know, the resignation of Rubiales, the sacking of Jorge Vilda, but, you know, wanting more than that, not wanting it to just be the case that they're replaced with the next layer of those types of people and wanting real structural change within the Federation and things to really move. And yeah, so I found it quite almost moving in the first half to see a team that were not playing at their best, but with really, really legitimate reason. And it's not their fault, right? And then second half, that comeback and the fight and the grit was just so incredible. And it's the image of a team that has done that consistently for years, right? Like whenever they've won, it's been despite what's going on around them um, and despite the level of support from the Federation, despite who their manager is to a large extent, every bit of success has been fought for and won by those players, and then they they turn around that game and turn it into like an absolutely thrilling win. So that it was a real like a mixed bag of emotions for me. I, I was sort of slightly skeptical about going over there. You know, I don't speak Spanish despite my my A level uh, that wasn't very good. And you know, I was thinking, oh well, you know, is it really worth it? But it was just just the feeling of it and the emotion around the game and the way I felt watching it was just yeah, really kind of undescribable because it was. A really powerful moment. I think it's a real turning point for for protesting women's football as well because they could have given up at any point and not given up, but settled at any point in this fight. Giving up is the wrong word. Settled in terms of like Vilda going box ticked sort of thing. Rubiales resigning box ticked. Like at any of these points, they could have said, right, that's it. We've done our bit. But they've not. They've kept going. And I think that's really the inspiring part is that they really, really feel their power and really, really recognise that more needs to happen in a much more meaningful way. And that's what's exciting about it for me at the moment is that that is where we're at. And then obviously there's, you know, legal cases going on and things like that still to play out too. Yeah, there's a, look, we, we will go fully in depth and we've got a few things up our sleeves as well, haven't we, Susie? And, and we'll be doing a special in a few weeks' time to keep you all updated on what's going on and the wider ramifications of, of everything that's been going on. 
But that was a Nations League game. The Nations League has started. I mean, of course it has with two fixtures the week before the domestic season begins. No such thing as uh, too much football, apparently. Uh, On Friday night, England beat Scotland 2-1 at the Stadium of Light. Meanwhile, on Saturday, Tanya Oxtoby's first match as Northern Ireland manager ended in a 3-0 defeat by the Republic of Ireland in Dublin. You were at both of those games, uh, Sophie, racking up the air miles again. Give us your match reports, please. I think it was very clear, actually across the Nations League anyway, is that the teams that were at the World Cup were obviously trying to get rid of the cobwebs of the World Cup. And whether it was in the first half or in the second half. So for England against Scotland, they played really, really well in the first half. I think they did come out all guns blazing. They should have got the goal through Rachel Daly. That should have stood. And then Lucy Bronze and Lauren Hemp scored and they went in 2-1 up. But then they faded in the second half. And I think it just shows where those players are at currently. You know, they've come off a month ago. They were in a World Cup final. They've had pre-season. They've had time off. And they're just not, you know, at the right level yet. And vice versa, I think, for Ireland, Republic of Ireland, they were obviously, there's been so much going on with them in terms of Vera Powell and the manager change and going to the Aviva and, and, you know, having a record-breaking crowd with 34,000 It was a huge moment for Irish football, all of it. And I think it just weighed on them in that first half an hour where they kind of um, struggled to get their feet, struggled to maintain possession. But then once they blew that away and they they started finding the the link-ups and the passing and Lucy Quinn had a brilliant game and she got her goal. And I think that just set them off on on the right track in that second half. So, yeah, kind of weird having two different halves of both England and Republic, but I think it would both stem from the same kind of point in that the World Cup was just a month ago and it weighed heavy on a lot of these players in different ways, in positive and negative ways. And I think that's shown throughout the Nations League so far. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I spoke to Lauren Hemp earlier on today about it, actually. And much as she was saying, obviously, we want to be playing in these competitive games and, you know, I love being called up for England. She was acknowledging at the same time that they're all absolutely shattered and that's where you start to create problems, don't you, if you're not recovering right, which is why we saw Alessia Russo rested for that game against Scotland. Uh, Me, you and Susie are going to see the Lionesses take on the Netherlands Tuesday night here in Utrecht. It's beautiful, by the way, here. Absolutely gorgeous. That Netherlands side lost 2-1 to Belgium on Friday night. We'll do a quick roundup of of that and all the other international news on next week's show um, because this is predominantly a bit of a catch-up and a a preview to the WSL. But just to kind of round this off, Robin, it uh, is so bloody complicated. But basically, (laughs) Team GB would qualify for next summer's Olympics should Serena Wiegmann's England side reach the Nations League final or... Finishing third would be enough if hosts France reach the final because they're the nominated nation. We also found out that Serena will be head coach of Team GB should they reach the Olympics. I mean, it scrambles your brain, especially bearing in mind Scotland are in England's group, which is crazy. Where do you stand on this whole tournament, Robin, and and what it actually means for the Olympics? It's a bit like the debate we have with the Men's Nations League, isn't it? You know, you've got your managers saying oh, you know, it's going to mean less rotation because, they're, you know, they're competitive games and there's obviously the big thing on the line is the Olympic Games as well. The thing with England and Scotland being in the same group is absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> and having that, there has to be England to, you know, to go through and get to the finals to to qualify Team GB because you're thinking, what are the Scotland players thinking that could potentially get in that 
squad. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to say they're going to throw the game or, or perform anything like below their level, but it must scramble their brain a little bit. I don't really know how they came to that. It, shouldn't it be in the event that Scotland got to the finals? That that should count as well. I just don't really know. The vast majority of the team will be England, I guess. But still, I just... But it's, it's also because England are the highest ranked team. So they always mm-hmm. take them as the Team GB qualification. So, I mean, right. but it is it's stupid because, you know, Caroline Weir and Kim Little were, were in that Olympic team for Tokyo and would have a chance of being part of that Olympic team again, you would think. And you just, oh dear, frustrating. Yeah, Erin Cuthbert, just what, did they have to be in the same group, I guess? I just, yeah. Sophie, you probably know more. I think UEFA should have split them. So like, you know how you have certain nations that can't meet up. I think the other interesting thing that's on the line is it is about position for the European qualifying. So however they finish in Nations League sets the groups for European qualifying. So obviously the priority now for Scotland is to qualify for that Euro 2025. They haven't reached a major tournament in the last two series, Mm -hmm. cycles. Yeah, that's the word. So it, it really makes it tricky for them. I honestly think they didn't, spend two minutes thinking about the Olympics to be honest I think they probably were like whatever will be with will be with that and it, you kind of get that vibe with Serena Wiegmann as well she's very like England focused and they obviously want to get to the Olympics but if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen kind of thing I kind of get that vibe whereas Euro 2025 is definitely the priority for everyone to be there that's a major tournament in women's football I do think Going forward, we're going to have to have a talk about Olympic football and how that stands within the calendar. I know for this is quite Eurocentric, so for us, it doesn't matter so much, maybe. But for Australia or USA, it's a big tournament for them. But how do we mesh it with a calendar that's now becoming full of international football? And maybe for those nations, their competition, so their Copa America are growing all the time, so that it maybe becomes their competitive side. I'm wondering whether it has to just go to an under-23s. Because actually, you know, the FA are growing the under-23s in terms of England women and maybe it has to go that way with the growth of the game globally. It's really difficult. But speaking of international football, it's the end of an era stateside on Sunday night. Megan Rapino bringing the curtain down on her glittering international career as the USA beat South Africa 2-0 in Chicago. I mean, she's 38 years old, made her USA debut back in 2006, went on to win 203 caps, 63 goals to her name and lifted the World Cup in 2015 and 2019. It's quite hard, Susie, isn't it, to sum up how legendary she is in the women's game and what her statue, statue, stature, stature. (laughs) Oh, build her a statue. What her stature is in the game is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, build her a statue. Mm. nice big pink one that'd be great yeah I mean she's been huge in so many ways obviously just from a purely footballing point of view just what her presence on the pitch phenomenally talented player pulls it out of the bag in the biggest of moments you know you look at the 2019 World Cup and she's not you know she's barely played that season domestically and then comes on and despite all of the off-field controversy swirling around her puts in the most incredible performances in that tournament to basically get the USA to that World Cup final and then to win it. And then you throw in that that's against the backdrop of a massive row with Donald Trump, um, who has basically told them they've got to prove themselves before they can be arsy about not wanting to go to the White House and things like that. And 
sort of the huge pressure that's on her shoulders to perform given that she's been you know sort of so vocal on lgbtq plus rights that she you know has really stood out from a crowd on all kinds of equality issues diversity taking a knee before you know many others did pretty much as soon as Colin Kaepernick did you know her family bearing the brunt of of what that meant the picture of her having to be taken down from the wall in the diner where her mum worked after that because people were complaining or you know the business that she had with her sister almost going under because of her position on taking a knee and like just instinctively socially conscious but like willing to put herself out there to be that and to like represent the like least represented sections of society in the biggest way and on the biggest stage and like just her awareness the self-awareness to recognize in 2019 that that was her moment to grasp and my god like very few people have got a platform recognized it and used it as effectively as she does in that moment and around that time so huge loss in in terms of all of those things but at the same time, like what a legacy. And I think, you know, most outspoken players today would say they've been inspired by Rapino. So in a way, she's not like, in that sense, that side of her isn't going away because she's left the whole train of professional players who feel the power of their voice because of what she's done. And also just feel confident in their own skin to be able to talk about what they believe in to stuff too, like which she has done just so authentically. Yeah, absolute trailblazer, isn't she? Uh, Right, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll get properly stuck into our WSL season preview. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. We should have an outtakes, I think, of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly at the end of the season. (laughs) End of the season outtakes pod. Producer Lucy, get on it. Uh, Let's kick on with our WSL season preview, shall we? Our first slate of fixtures looks like this. Arsenal against Liverpool, Aston Villa against Manchester United, Bristol City, Leicester City, Chelsea, Tottenham, Everton, Brighton and Hove Albion and West Ham United against Manchester City. It's fair to say 2022-23 campaign was one of the most competitive and enthralling yet. Manchester United breaking up the dominance of the traditional big three of Chelsea, Manchester City and Arsenal, pushing Emma Hayes' side all the way in the title race. But it was Chelsea who retained their crown, winning the title for the fourth successive season. And simply, Robin, can anyone stop them making it five in a row? Ah, uh, probably not. <laughs> it's just like death taxes, Chelsea winning the WSL title. And they will probably do their traditional kind of slightly slow start. But then once Christmas hits and all that, it's like it's just it just happens every time. I mean, I think I don't think they're going to run away with it again. Like they didn't last season either. But again, sort of we get to the last day and it's kind of almost sort of a regulation they need a a draw or win against someone that they're expected to and that that's what happens I'm hoping obviously they'll you know there'll be others competing and I've I've got to say it's probably the one of the first times I think I was excited last season but the the transfers that some of these clubs have made have got me so excited about the first day seeing them in the new shirt and seeing how they bed in and how quickly they can so we're doing Aston Villa Man United for the BBC the first game and that is particularly like there are quite a lot of storylines there so like Villa 
Van Domsela, what a signing goalkeeper to replace Hannah Hampton. Ebony Salmon coming back, playing against Man United where she didn't get a kick. And then also Kirsty Hansen, who we all saw for Scotland against England. She was electric. Um, Man United were happy to let her go to Villa. So already you've kind of got those sort of subplots that are taking place on the first day. I honestly can't wait. They might regret that for sure. We'll go a bit more in depth on Manchester United and Aston Villa in a second. But by the way, you say, you know, it could go down to the last day of the season against, you know, a a so-called smaller club. They actually have Manchester United away on the final day of the season, Chelsea. So the fixture generator has come up with a with a pub mysterious digger. presence the fixture generation wonderful um and you know you talk about villa's signings but you know chelsea have made some statement signings this summer again sophie me official katarina macario ashley lawrence as well just to name a few that we obviously knew pre-season because they'd done the deals early doors they're obviously missing Magdalena Eriksson and Penilla Harder, who left for Bayern Munich. So how exactly do you see the balance of the squad that Emma Hayes has, has assembled? I think she's kept it pretty much quite stable with those only those two departures. You know, she's um, solidified in areas. I think her aim is definitely that Champions League, right? It's not to say that they don't want to win the WSL. They definitely do. But I think the full focus trying to get that Champions League title, which has been the one thing that's eluded Emma Hayes and that Chelsea squad. And I think she strengthened in relation to that. There were quite a few like younger signings that have gone straight back out on loan and that just shows me that's building for the future as well. It's not been a window just about the here and now. It's, it's about thinking about what's going to happen in one, two years' time. So that's really sensible from her. Yeah, I think they sort of flew, in a way, flew under the radar with their transfer window. Not because they didn't do well, but because there were other big signings elsewhere. If you look at Arsenal... I think they had such a good window, you know, getting Cara Crooning Cross on that final day of the deadline day. Absolutely, like, came out of nowhere almost um, in terms of the rumours around it. And to get her one of the most exciting young midfield players on the planet um, was absolutely key for Arsenal. So there's been, like, little stories everywhere. What Leicester and Brighton have done as well, you know, they've really strengthened. So it's hard to pick a winner in that transfer window. <laughs> Susie Rack is the winner. She's got the smuggest of smug faces on on the Zoom currently and has been nodding and bobbing around. Kyra Cooney Cross fan. Chelsea kick off their season against Tottenham at Stamford Bridge, Susie. Any weaknesses you can see Spurs could exploit and cause an opening day shock? Tiredness is pretty much the only one I can think of in the way that Arsenal did, what was it, two seasons ago in that opening day defeat of the Emirates 3-2 and that was you know very much Emma Hayes having rested players and you know taking a little bit of time to get going almost like sacrificed the start of the season to a certain extent to give players a proper rest so I think that that could be what costs them in a sense because she will rest players properly and play the long game And most other teams won't do that. They'll want to hit the ground running and get started and work their players into the ground. And I feel like that is the only chance that Spurs have of winning that game. I mean, they're just like, like Robin, I just like, yeah, death taxes and Chelsea winning (laughs) the WSL title is what is inevitable. I have hope based on um, Arsenal's great transfers. And like, I'm excited by what Man United are going to look like. I think City have got a much more settled squad. 
Villa as well, obviously hugely excited by. But I just I struggle to look past anyone getting through Chelsea in the long term. In terms of the Spurs game, I can't see them being able to do something particularly special. I would love to see an upset, but I don't think it's going to happen. Would you though? I thought you were about to say I would love to see Spurs win. I'm thinking, no, that didn't just come out of Susie Rapp Arsenal <laughs> fans' mouth, surely. <laughs> Not at all, but they're without Bethany England, aren't they? Who's uh, out for an undefined amount of time after having hip surgery. So wishing her the very best. Also sending all of our love to Emma Hayes and her family as well, because uh, Chelsea manager announced via social media earlier on this evening that her dad, Sid, sadly passed away. So sending lots of love and good wishes. I met Sid. He he was a, a lovely man and he was always at Emma's games, wasn't he, Susie? Yeah, I actually interviewed him um, about a year and a half ago for a big sort of, intro piece on Emma ahead of the Champions League final against Barcelona and he was just the nicest guy and we spoke for ages and he had just story after story after story some of which I couldn't print otherwise Emma would have probably disowned him but like he was just so like full of life and you've got a real feel for just how close they are as a family and how close she was to him and how important and influential he was on her life and her career and stuff. So yeah, like, I mean, massive, massive loss for her. And I uh, like really hope that, you know, she's able to take some time with the family alongside the start of the season, because that's not going to be an easy one for them to cope with. No, it really isn't. Sending lots of love to Emma Hayes and her family. Back to the football, Manchester United, the closest challengers to Chelsea's dominance last season, finishing just two points behind them. There's been a massive turnover in their squad over the summer. They're going to be adjusting to life without a certain Alessia Russo, Robin, as well. But they did manage to keep Mary Earps. Not quite sure how long for. I'm very excited by the fact that they have signed Miyazawa, who we were waxing lyrical about, um, the Japanese forward the entire World Cup. And she was, of course, the golden boot winner in the end as well. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how they line up because they they have had a really exciting transfer window. Gabby George, I think, is a really good addition. We should say Onabadje as well is huge miss, absolutely massive. I think the best right back in the world at this stage. Melvin Mellar as well. And so this is going to be an interesting thing about because Mark Skinner was criticised by some last season for not rotating. He kind of had his regulars. And then you had people like Lucia Garcia, who usually came on and made an impact, not starting. I think her last start was in February um, and he kind of stuck with it. So how he's going to integrate these players. I also just want to raise just in general issues about just Manchester United as a club. Obviously not in a great state at the moment. And I just want to reiterate, this is nothing to do with Mark Skinner or the players. I actually really love the women's team and the way they operate. But... It's not been a good time, has it? You know, it came out that they'd invited the former women's manager to a game who was a convicted sex offender to their big game um, last season. They recently didn't realise they had the rights to their Champions League game. And they had to kind of row back on that to their, their game against PSG. Was this the ridiculous, you know, social media post that they put out? Yes, so mad. about it, yeah. And then they sent two kids to the press day and no Mark Skinner. They had Emma Watson and Evie Rabjohn to the sort of WSL press day. And I I just think, seriously, what is... It's just a club of Manchester United who have done so well, especially last season. 
it just makes me realise why you're hearing that players aren't that happy and maybe would you want to sign for them? Especially, and then, you know, not even to mention what's gone on with the men's side, even this sort of short part of the season, the Mason Greenwood stuff, trying to bring them into it. Anthony. It's just, yeah, Anthony. I just, that club has a cloud over it. And I just hope that they can, that Mark Skinner can sort of separate himself from that by, I fear it's, it's difficult. He's got a difficult job. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a mess. And it's sad because, like you say, like I actually have quite a lot of time for Mark Skinner as a manager and, you know, think he could do a good job given the right resources and the right environment. You know, we can clearly recruit players well. And I don't think it is solely him that is forcing players to leave. I think it is the fact that once you get past the veneer, you know, the reality but being a women's football player at Man United is a lot different to the way they hope it looks on the outside looking in. But I am like so excited to see what they do with these new players. Totally. They've got some great signings there. And in a way, like last season, you said that, you know, he didn't play Barisa and, you know, there was a lot of controversy from the fans, like very frustrated about that. He's got to play these new players now because half of the players are gone. So he's going to have to play them and that's going to be exciting. And to be fair, he did come second and reach an FA Cup final. So, you know, didn't do too badly. No, he didn't. But it is a very tricky opening day assignment, a trip to Aston Villa. And we saw what they did to Manchester City last season. And Sophie Downey, Lion-O challenged us on social media, said, dare you to try to predict Mark Skinner's starting eleven against Aston Villa? Do you play Mallard up front? Giza wide? What about Irene Guerrero and Hinata Miyazawa? What do you do? So many options now. How do you predict it? Ah. Uh. Jeez, <laughs> that's a tough challenge. I don't know if we'll see Hinata Miyazawa start. I think we'd probably see um, Jesus start and Guerrero. But yeah, I, I think he, she might come off the bench. She had a brilliant tournament, don't get me wrong, but I do think it will take some adjustment to get used to the Manchester United way. And, you know, the Japan style was such a trademark style for the way that they played football that she fitted so well within that that part. And, and But with her club team, she comes from Japan, the Japanese league. It's, it is a step away, I think, from the WSL and the sort of challenges that she will face in English football. We need to give some of these players time, I think, to, to really settle in and, and bed in. And someone like Kinata Mizawa will probably need a bit of time to just make sure she can find her feet as well. So I, I think someone like that would be on, on the bench. But yeah, it's going to be hard to call. And whether he sticks to someone like Ella Toon, who, who's not been having the best of times lately, but is obviously an absolutely iconic figure in, in that Manchester United side. And whether he gives her the chance to find her feet again after it, a kind of a tough World Cup, I think. Um, so yeah, lots of questions I don't have the answers to, I don't think. All oh, right, so you didn't help Lionel at all. Sorry. It was a challenge <laughs> you did not meet. You attempted to meet it, but, you know, can't quite get there. And also I'm going to send an apology to Natalie, who has sent us a message as well, because it's going to be really interesting to see how Mark Skinner's side juggle Champions League football in the competition for the first time ever. They've got Paris Saint-Germain in a couple of weeks' time for a place in the group stages. Natalie, we will focus on that nearer the time because the game's on the 10th of October, I think. So don't worry, we will, we will get to your question 
question about how big that Paris match is going to be. Uh, but let's focus on Arsenal, Susie, because it's been a really busy summer for your club. That statement signing of Alessia Russo, deadline day swoop for Matilda star Kyra Cooney-Cross we mentioned earlier on. And of course, defender Amanda Illestead, who stole the show for Sweden, four goals at the World Cup for her. Let's give uh, the floor to the Gunners fan in the room. Susie Rack, how are you feeling about your chances? And Chloe Lacasse, like I thought, would look really good for Canada. Obviously, you know, getting a, a World Cup winner in Kadena is no thing to be sniffed at either. I mean, I, I just been really, really good recruitment. But then obviously, there's all of the injuries. The loss of Raffaele is such a massive one. You know, obviously, Leah Williamson is still out and will be out for some time still, I imagine. There's question marks there as well. And obviously, the Champions League was a like, there can be no like mincing of words, a complete and utter disaster. I mean, you graft like no tomorrow to get the chance to be in that competition after really building up some momentum behind your campaign last season, reaching a semi final, lots of what ifs on that semi final, on, you know, if all these kind of iconic players were back in the squad and fit and healthy and ready to play huge momentum behind attendances and things like that and then to not have it this season is catastrophic (laughs) that said the last time Arsenal weren't in the Champions League and missed out they won the league so there is like you know a slight bonus in that you've got this situation where you're not going to have as many games particularly towards the latter end of the season you know obviously going to Conti Cup group stage but that's over by sort of February March time and the final run of the season as long as you're still in the FA Cup, you've just got the two competitions going. And that could end up being quite beneficial towards the end of the campaign. All the players coming back throughout the season, I think, will be a huge boost as that season goes along. Like, really sort of, yeah, a galvanising point of difference at key stages of the season. And yet, like, I'm really excited because it's such a strong squad now. I mean, I think a lot of the contract renewals are as significant as the signings. You know, Kim Little, Steph Catley, Caitlin Ford, Jen Beattie, you know, like all of these, Frieda Marnham, you know, all of those players renewing their contracts is, you know, if anything, as significant as some of these signings. But there's there's real depth to the squad and experience there. And I'm excited, particularly by some of the younger players that were forced to step up towards the end of last season, how much game time they get and like how much they're able to step in because... There's got to be a lot more trust in those players than maybe there would have been if they hadn't had all that difficulty towards the end of the season, right? Like Pelova and Catherine Cole and, and players like that who who really, really stepped up perhaps a fair bit earlier than they had intended now have huge, huge big game experience under their belts in like really, really high pressure cooker of an environment that, you know, you've now got not just depth, but depth with experience that I think is going to be really really important it's just for me how much the mental impact of going out of the Champions League has sunk in I I think that could be a little problem that would be interesting but I mean I can't believe you've literally listed all of those players without even mentioning that Vivian Miedemar and Beth Mead are going to be back soon and they're going to be like new signings and she's rubbing her hands with glee, Robin. It was also <laughs> announced last week that club legend Kelly Smith is back, this time in an official capacity as assistant coach to Jonas Eideval. She could have a really important role, probably in helping some of the younger players settle, but also really helping Alessia Russo settle during her first season with the Gunners. 
Oh, definitely. I think that's a really smart move from Arsenal. And I've worked with her a little bit. It's interesting because she's quite quiet, actually, like generally. But she has a presence and anyone who's anyone knows she's pretty much the best footballer England have produced, like ever. (laughs) You know, at her peak, she was just unplayable. And I think, yeah, if she can pass on any words of wisdom, I think, yeah, Susie's going to be smiling a lot, seeing the ball hit the back of the net with the regularity that that uh, Kelly Smith managed, anywhere near that, and they're going to be, yeah, rolling. By the way, I'm just going to start calling you Smug Susie Rack, particularly if Arsenal just go ahead and steamroller the tournament. Although you're all thinking it's going to be Chelsea. Even Susie Rack, you said Chelsea. Sophie's shaking her head. She disagrees. You're saying Arsenal, Sophie? I'm saying Arsenal. I think not being, I know that not being in the Champions League is a massive blow in a way, but I think it massively, as Susie said, frees them up towards the end of the season. I think once you get bogged down in all those games, being in a title race and not having the experience of winning it really hurts you, especially with the injuries that we saw with like Arsenal last season. Man United not having the experience as well of being in those situations. And I think that's why Chelsea, Chelsea are brilliant, but they won it because of their experience as well. Whereas I think Arsenal having a full focus on the league this season, that would be what they want, is absolutely going to be like, that's why, yeah, I'm putting my money on them. But also, as you say, with Miedemar coming back, that's going to be a new player. And the same with Leah. Leah Williamson will come back probably in March, April time, you would imagine. That's going to be another, you know, fresh set of legs and fresh energy to bring into the squad. So I think things look good for them. So I'm, that's where I'm backing. I'm backing you, Sophie. I agree with you 100%. So we've got half red, half blue. And the red... Are you doing your prediction thing, Susie, where you predict Chelsea hoping that you're wrong because your predictions are always absolutely terrible and then it goes to Arsenal? Maybe. (laughs) Ah, It's a lot to untangle for the reader, isn't it? (laughs) I know, I know. Well, listen, for anybody who's joining us for the first time this season... Mine, Susie Rack, Robin Cowan, Sophie Downey, all of our guests, in fact, have a ridiculously terrible track record at predictions, uh, which you will find out throughout the course of the season. Does anybody want to go for Manchester City this season? Because it was Gareth Taylor's side who fell out of the Champions League places last season. He himself had his fair share of critics. They had a horror start. And then despite going on a really good run, the damage was kind of already done, really. If they want to have any chance chance of being competitive Robin they can't make that mistake again no I mean it's a really tricky one with Man City because they have got a really good set of players and they've got continuity they've only made they've only got one in one out over the transfer window Jill Rod, who I think is you know pretty damn good um, and Hayley Rasso out who again I'm slightly perplexed by that one although not really because she was competing with Hemp and Kelly wasn't she and she didn't really get a chance at City but she was brilliant at the World Cup Obviously, they don't have Champions League football. The pressure will be on to at least get a top three, won't they, to get back in the Champions League or get a chance of getting into the Champions League proper next season. Honestly, don't know what to expect with them. You know, they've still got Bunny Shaw. They've still got some pretty a pretty frightening attack and Jill Raw to add to that. As I say, it's, it's just a tricky one. And Lauren Hemp playing in this more central role for... 
for England is, is ah, interesting. She'll be back we, out wide, I think. I know, but <laughs> she's, she? getting her, she's getting her goal-scoring boots on though, isn't she? And uh, that can only be a good thing for City, surely. And, you know, as Robin says, it was a really quiet transfer window, Sophie. But, you know, are we kind of glass half full that they've got a settled side or glass half empty that they haven't recruited more? I don't like quiet transfer windows for big clubs. I think you need to get a nice balance and I think bringing in just one player doesn't give you the kind of freshness necessary that you would need in a summer window. Because while they've got a really, really good squad, we all know the transfers coming in makes competition higher, gives people a bit of a kick and kind of gives them a motivation. And I do worry that just bringing in one into a very settled squad is a bit problematic. And especially Gareth Taylor isn't maybe the best tactically so in terms of like you were just talking about with Lauren Hemp Lauren Hemp is going to play out wide and he won't try her down the middle I don't think just knowing what I know it's very very set in stone it's quite formulaic so without freshness and being quite formulaic I wonder how that will you know go down with the rest of the teams who have probably become more accustomed to playing them as well so yeah it's interesting but yeah I just don't like it yeah I wonder whether West Ham will be a bit of a banana skin for them. We'll discuss them in a second. But first, a question from Laura, who asks, given some of the impressive signings outside of the traditional top four over the summer, who are you backing to be competitive in mid-table this season? And do you think Aston Villa will be able to maintain or build on their best of the rest performance from last season? Susie, you take this one because... Carla Ward's side were one of the stories of last season. There's still a big golf to the top four. They did finish 10 points behind Manchester City, but are they your favourites to be the best of the rest? And can they bridge the gap or maybe push their way into it? I think they can. Oh, no, am I giving them the kiss of death? I even say it. I probably am. <laughs> Don't I? overthink <laughs> it, Susie. Come on. <laughs> Carla Ward, close your ears. <laughs> I just, like, I think... Carla is just such a brilliantly astute manager of people. She's got fantastic coaches around her as well um, that do a lot of good work on the pitch. The recruitment has been incredible and there's a reason she is the key to that recruitment. She is like, people want to play for her. It's a really exciting team. You know, the signings that have come in, Ebony Salmon, Van Donselaar, even like Lucy Parker and players like that who, you know, could make a real, real difference to that team. I'm just very, very excited by them. I think they could do some special things. Obviously, Rachel Daly, Kenza Darley, like they've been so, so good last season. I think having the benefit of those players with a, a season under their belt in her setup and the way she likes to play, it was all quite new last season. And now they're all sort of experienced in the way they work, in the way she likes to set them up, in you know the type of players that are there. They've added some real top quality. I just, I'm just really excited to see them play. I, I think they could cause a lot of upsets. I think they will beat a lot of the traditional top four teams, and could if they don't break in, I think they'll have a real say on where the title goes. I think the one thing they lacked last season was depth, and they have that now. I feel like that's the thing. When they were close to beating sort of those big teams, they didn't have anyone to bring off the bench. Really, I feel like they have that now. Sophie also gave them five out of five in her transfer window verdict piece in The Guardian. And I tell you what, Robin, they've also got Rachel Daly ready and raring to go again after her golden boot, PFA Players Player of the Year awards as well, and playing up front as you are delighted about. 
I would never criticise Serena Wiegmann, as you know. And she did score from left wing back. And I think that was the, the right thing to do with the situation England were in. I just think she's just such an athlete, isn't she? She will play 90 minutes every single week, week in, week out. But she is also an absolutely brilliant footballer and now a, a prolific finisher, as, she's, as she showed last season. She's got everything, Rachel Daly. And I think that's a big thing that Susie mentioned, that I'm sure she would have had offers elsewhere. She chose to Aston Villa, I'm sure, because of Carla Ward. And she's kind of been a big part of that project. And yeah, I'd love to see her banging them in again just for her because she's, yeah, she's brilliant. We hope that uh, Marva Creel is feeling okay because it's been a bit of a tricky window for Everton, particularly the departure of Gabby George to Manchester United, which blindsided quite a few of us. The loss of Rika Savecki at the back as well. I mean, do we need to be worried about Brian Sorensen's side defensively, Sophie? I would worry. And I know that's not probably a popular opinion amongst Everton fans, but I think losing two of your biggest defenders who, you know, had such good seasons last year in, in terms of getting them that, that mid-table position and not really replacing them. Yes, they've like reinforced the attack, but like you can't leak goals, can you? So I, I would be seriously worried about the the lack of like experience, but also like standout player in that defensive lineup. You know, you have Katrin Vey, she struggles to stay with her fitness at times, I think. She's experienced um as a fullback, but she she also struggles uh with injury. Natalie Bjorn as well is another experienced one, but two players don't make up a defence and um I would be slightly worried. Yeah, big worries for them. Uh, Liverpool, though, feeling positive. Second season back in the WSL for Matt Beard's side. And after a seventh place finish last season, steered them well clear of any relegation fears in the end. And he's just signed a contract extension at the club as well. There have been some important developments off the pitch too. The club bought back Melwood, their old training ground earlier on this year, to create a training facility for the women's team. They moved from their Tranmere Rovers base to the new facility in September and uh, Matt Beard said it's game changing to be honest for us to have the facility we have now it really means we can deliver and do what we want to do for the players really good to hear that the club is investing in the side Susie finally it's been a long time coming and it's going to be fascinating to see if that can help them kick on this season 100% it's so good to see because the club like should have a good women's team right like they're a massive club They've got great history within the Women's Super League, having won those back-to-back titles and ended Arsenal's like incredible run back in, um, what was it, 2013, 2014? And it's nice to see them sort of properly investing and doing it right and putting in the work behind the scenes. Obviously, you know, the fact that they weren't included in the new training ground for the men's team in the first place was a huge I I don't even want to call it a cock up because you can't, that's not a mistake. That's like (laughs) deliberate. Well, this was, this was my question. Couldn't they, did they have to go to the lengths of buying back Melwood? Couldn't they have just shared (laughs) it? Maybe got rid of the volleyball courts. I don't know. Like aside from all that, the fact they've bought Melwood back, the fact that they've done it up, that it's, you know, they're really proud of it becoming a hub for the women's team is a good thing and contrasts like quite starkly with, you know, Man United who aren't totally comfortable in their environment and the way the club is investing behind the scenes and all of that and the type of facilities and things they've got. And it's nice to see a club that is realising the error of their ways, I hope, in a little bit more of a genuine way. Matt is a really good manager, really good 
people person. I remember being sat when he was at West Ham, like I got invited down to watch their training ahead of a game. And I just, I was sat in the stands just watching them train. And I was just like absolutely fascinated by the way he was setting up the team for whoever they were facing that week. And the attention to detail in how they dealt with the threat of whichever team it was that they were facing was like, I just found it absolutely fascinating. I think he's a really, really clever, quite astute manager. And they've got a team capable of, Doing quite well amongst that middle pack, I think. Yeah, I agree. Katie Stengel's gone back to the NWSL, which is going to be a big miss given her nine goals last season. But the acquisition of Norway's Sophie Roman Haig could prove particularly savvy. Uh, let's take a look at West Ham, shall we? A new look West Ham with the hugely experienced Rianne Skinner back in the WSL. She's in charge now following the departure of Paul Koncheski after just a year at the helm and a new face at Rianne Skinner's former side Tottenham who have Robert Villaham in charge. I hope I've pronounced that right. Apologies if I have not. He joined Spurs from Swedish side BK Hacken where he guided them to Champions League qualification in his first season in charge. So the question is, Robin Cowan, East or North London? Who are you backing to have the better season? Oh, that's a difficult one. I mean, I spoke to Rianne Skinner. I saw her at one of the numerous airports out of the World Cup. And she was really happy with how she was being supported at West Ham. And I think she felt that, you know, obviously Tottenham were dropping like a stone last season and basically Beth England's goals kept them up. And it just felt like she feels like she's got a few more supportive staff now around her. So she was really excited about that. To be honest, I know nothing about the Tottenham manager and and how he's going to settle in. That's going to be interesting. You mentioned Beth England not being fit. They've got Martha Thomas in, you know, decent, but not exactly prolific anyway in the WSL so far. Not saying she won't be. I think it could be, you know, a tight one um, between these two. Actually, both of them had really disappointing sort of second halves, didn't they? West Ham and and Tottenham and both have changed manager. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of paths they go on. Yeah, I'm wishing Rianne Skinner all the best, actually. I've worked with her a few times for TalkSport and she's a real delight and fantastic tactically as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she can do there. Uh, Leicester and Brighton, though, Sophie, both flirted with relegation last season, managed to escape the drop. Uh, Reading going down, as we mentioned earlier. Willie Kirk helping to pull off the great escape last season because we all, by the way, predictions wrong, as I said before, we all predicted early on in the season that Leicester were going down and they didn't. And he's completely refreshed Uh Fox's squad uh, as well. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Susie Rack. Is this the one <laughs> prediction you got correct? I think I said that Willie Kirk would pull off the most remarkable. No, you said that you said that in about February. You certainly uh, shortly after, say that. Straight after he came in. No. We need VAR, don't we? Yeah. Lucy, <laughs> get on it. <laughs> yeah. I literally have just told two minutes ago Susie Rack to keep things tight because we've been <laughs> waffling on for ages and in she dives with that. I'm asking Sophie a question. My one prediction. (laughs) (laughs) 16 players departed, including, by the way, and this is a conversation for another day, I think, that eye-catching transfer of Ashley Plumtree to Saudi Arabia. Uh, Melissa Phillips has had all the summer work to do with her Brighton side. The signings of Pauline Bremer, brilliant. And the hugely experienced Vicky Lasada show real intent. We mentioned that earlier on. So... How are we backing these two, Sophie? Same struggles as last time out or vastly improved? 
vastly improved. I'm very excited by both of them. I think Willie Kirk having a summer to get rid of the players that he didn't really want, I think there was quite a lot of maybe players that weren't quite up to the standard that he was expecting, bringing in nine signings that really brought quality, getting Janina Leipzig and Courtney Nevin on permanent contracts. That's absolutely crucial. And the same for Brighton, also a clear out, but Melissa Phillips had been really able to stamp her mark on that squad over the summer. So I will go for a mid-table finish for both of them. Okie dokie. Last but not least, the new kids in town, our very own Anita Asante back in the WSL, part of the Bristol City coaching staff. She's going to be with us next week, by the way, so we'll find out how it's going behind the scenes. Uh, but what should we expect from the Vixens, Susie? They made seven summer signings, a couple of important loan moves as well. Has Lauren Smith's side got enough to hold their own in the top flight? I mean, they've got a chance, haven't they, with their opening fixture against Leicester? I mean... Being realistic, it's going to be a massive struggle. But that said, they've also got nothing to lose, right? Like the fact that they've bounced back so quickly into WSL is like a huge boost. They're going to be playing at Ashton Gate. Lauren Smith comes across brilliantly. Like we spoke to her on the WSL media day for a good while. And she was very realistic about their their prospects and the hopes for the season and things like that. And like how difficult it is going to be for them. But very much with a sort of we have nothing to lose attitude. There's some nice signings, like young, talented players. They recognise they're going to be a team that is reliant on sort of young talent to get through. They really own that part of their history of bringing through young players that then get taken off by other clubs. So it's going to be really, really hard. But I think they could surprise a lot of people with what they're doing there because it's quite a nice setup. Yeah, it really is. Uh, let's bring you up to speed with the state of play in the championship. We're four games in so far this season already. It's Southampton and Blackburn who lead the early standings, both with three wins each and nine points. Last season's relegated side, Reading, having a tricky start, though, picked up just three points from their opening games. Uh, three draws for them, while it's Birmingham City and Lewis at the foot of the table, each on just a point. Hashtag United women are flying at the top of the National League's Southern Premier Division. Six wins from their opening six games. And Burnley at top of the pile in the Northern Premier. This season, of course, we're going to give you as much coverage as we can for the entire football pyramid. So we'll be keeping you right across the progress in all these divisions. Uh, now, so some really sad news. And the women's football community was rocked on Friday with the devastating news that Sheffield United midfielder Maddie Cusack had died at the age of 20. The police have confirmed today her death not being treated as suspicious. Uh, She'd been at the club since 2019, became the first player to reach 100 appearances for the women's team last season and also worked as a marketing executive at the Women's Championship Club. This is what Chief Executive Stephen Bettis had to say. It's heartbreaking news for everyone at Bramall Lane. Her personality and professionalism made her a credit to her family. She will be sadly missed. Whilst taking in the news and moving forward, the club will offer as much support as possible to Maddie's family, friends and colleagues. Um, It's just heartbreaking, Sophie. There were some incredibly moving tributes to Maddie at Bramall Lane before the men's game against Newcastle on Sunday and, and no doubt many more over the coming weeks. Yeah, seriously heartbreaking. Um, I've been what, in this game for a, a decade and as long as I know, and Maddie Cusack's been somewhere in the league, um, a part of it she's had an impact on so many players in, in the league as teammates and colleagues and, and friends. And it's just a massive loss, I think, the whole of women's football. Yeah, 
truly devastating news and we send all our love to Maddie's family, friends uh, and colleagues as well. Uh, now, before we go, it is the obligatory part of the pod where we bring humiliation upon all of ourselves with our predictions. I've been telling you throughout the pod that we're terrible at them. So, you know, you might just want to end the pod right now. <laughs> Save our blushes. Why not? Uh, three very simple questions for each of you. So, Robin Cowan, who wins? I'm sticking with death, taxes, Chelsea. Who makes the Champions League? Arsenal. I'm going to throw out Aston Villa. Woof. Yeah. And who's going down? In the words of Alan Sugar, with regret, I think it's probably going to be Bristol City. <laughs> Amazing. Sophie? Um, I'm going to stick with Arsenal to win Champions League. Go Arsenal, Chelsea, and I will follow Robin in with the Aston Villa trend. And I am going to go with... Everton to go down. Oh, season rack. Mm. Oh, this is so exciting. I like going last. Uh, Arsenal, Chelsea for Champions League. Oh, um, Chelsea to win the league, knowing that my prediction's terrible. Um, although I have predicted that the last few seasons have been right. So, you know, that's not saying much. It's just Chelsea. And I want to jump on the Aston Villa bandwagon. Like, I think I need to. I just, I love the idea of it. I want this prediction to come true. Or I want it to come and bite us in the arse really beautifully. This is supposed to be short and sharp. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, short and sharp. And relegated uh, Bristol. Okay, I am going for Arsenal to win, which means Arsenal, Chelsea... And I'm going to say Manchester United, much as I would love it to be Aston Villa going into the Champions League. And for me, I'm so golly gosh, I think Everton might go down as well. Sorry, got to do better in the transfer window, but we shall see. We're rubbish, right? Robin Cowan, it was a delight to talk to you on a Monday evening for a change. See you soon. Get well soon, Faye. Although I think your voice sounds even better, actually. But like Phoebe from Friends, you know, she has a sexy voice. Hello, babies. (laughs) 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 Sophie, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Bye, Susie Rack. Get us those Stroop waffles or whatever they're called. Gluten-free, please. I feel like we need to do more evening podcasts because we've been on form. No alcohol involved either. (laughs) No, no alcohol whatsoever. But honestly, if we did evening podcasts, we'd be here forever. (laughs) Right, those opening weekend fixtures for you once again. Arsenal, Liverpool, Aston Villa, Manchester United, Bristol City, Leicester, Chelsea, Tottenham, Everton, Brighton and Hove Albion and West Ham United versus Manchester City. We'll be back with you next Tuesday and every week now going forward to recap all the action from the opening weekend and round up the latest news from across the world of women's football. And remember, you can be part of the show by emailing us at womensfootballweekly at theguardian.com and subscribe to the Moving the Goalpost newsletter as well. It's the Guardian's weekly roundup of everything across the women's game. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver. Music composition was by Laura Iredale, our executive producer, producer is Salamat. This is The Guardian. 